Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. As we begin the new year, it's a good time to reflect on the year just passed. 2018 was, of course, a year with no shortage of news, and KCBS has been there to cover every minute of it, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. A suspected female shooter is dead. Four other people injured in a shooting at YouTube's San Bruno headquarters. Emotions ran high as Caltrans workers collapsed tents and scooped up piles of refuse from under several major freeways. I, London and Breed, do solemnly swear, do solemnely swear that I will support and defend. That I will support. I'm Keith Manconi, and on this edition of In Depth, we're going to be turning the microphone onto our own newsroom and speaking to some of the folks that make KCBS News happen to hear their takes on what 2018 stories are worth remembering as we enter 2019. First up, our top story for 2018 was all too similar to the top story of 2017. The devastating wildfires that have ravaged portions of the state from the car fire up north to the Woolsey Fire down south, to the most deadly and destructive wildfire in California history, the Camp Fire. We're going to get the perspective now of three of the KCBS reporters who went out to fire country this year to cover them. No, 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 well, the Mendocino complex was what, was, was what month? Uh, it was over the summer, I want to say July maybe or August. Okay, so was that before I went to Yosemite? I think it was, yeah. It's okay, hard to keep track. Right. Yeah, I know, exactly. That's the whole point. That first voice you heard there was KCBS reporter Holly Kwan, followed by Jeffrey Schaub, followed by Jenna Lane. And as you can hear, it was a busy year of fire coverage for all three of them. It was the Ferguson Fire, yeah, the Ferguson Fire in Yosemite. That was in, in, in July. I came home on a Friday, and then I went to the next fire on a Sunday. Now, these reporters have been covering California fire season for years now including the 2017 Wine Country fires. So I wanted to hear from them what was different about covering fires this year. I guess it's just a degree more relentless. Mm -hmm. Well, in the Wine Country fires we had, it was a firestorm. But the last firestorm technically before that 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 I'm aware of was the Oakland Hills firestorm, right? And now we have fire NATOs. Anyway, the point is, if they're just more and more intense, you've got people running for their lives, literally running for their lives through towns, towns being destroyed. Mm -hmm. You know, in the past, there'd be a warning, there's a fire approaching, people would be evacuated, mostly in kind of an organized fashion. But this is just a whole new ballgame. I was in paradise, and what struck me was that they were you know, it was just decimated, and, and the town, it, it went on for miles and miles. I mean, a lot of times you go into these towns, and you can pretty much kind of sort of see the perimeter of where it ended. But in, in Paradise, you just drove and drove and drove, 
and there was just like you know lot after lot after lot that was flattened and you saw fire hydrants that were in front of lots and they were unopened because there wasn't even they weren't even going to try to save um property it was mostly about saving lives and that seemed to be sort of the shift because in the past a lot of times it was most fires you're trying to like you know put put out your the the fire or try to you know have enough um you know defensible space around your property and talk about you know trees and limbs and branches and things like that but you know in a lot of these fires that wasn't going to help you at all are there any experiences in particular that stick out to you from this fire season? Yeah, there's there's one in particular. So I was walking um, among the ruins of this one neighborhood in Paradise, and um, it was kind of you know, right at the point where they were allowing people to come back to their properties to just take a look around. And there was one man <clears throat> who had to be in his 80s, and he was walking around in the ash, and he was looking for this item or that item, and he found a small ring that he thought had belonged to his daughter. And after I finished talking to him, I walked back up to the car, and I felt like crying. That It was just like a breaking point for me. I felt so bad for this man. You know, it could have been my grandfather, and just on top of everything else. It's a lot, right? It is. It is. It's... it's uh, it's very sad. I guess, yeah, there was a uh, moment in Reading when I was trying to get to a certain area. And to make a long story short and not too gruesome, I realized that the reason I couldn't get to that area is that there were uh, so many human remains. And it was being so heavily guarded because that's where the firefighter had died. Mm. Um, so just being turned back from a place I was trying to get to for a story and I wasn't even, I didn't even think I was in the same area, but that's how I found out that that's where the firefighter died. It was sort of, I was trying to get to someplace else and it was very, uh, sobering. Yeah. Uh, Holly, any moment stick out to you? I think that it, it always, um, amazes me and, and, and you, feel very um privileged to be able to be in a space where um you know th this is it could be hallowed ground to somebody a family member this is this is their their house their you know loved ones may have, have perished nearby and 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 you have to be very respectful of it and and i remember being in paradise and it i didn't know where i was going you couldn't there were no more street signs <clears throat> you were just you know driving and i stopped and everything was quiet I mean, it was just really odd. Not quiet like I'm in the wilderness, kind of up in the mountains, quiet. Just like quiet. There was nothing going on. And it was just seemed really odd because um, there you knew that there were crews, PG&E crews, and, and people that were trying to um, get the power lines out of the way. And, and, and there were still, like, you know, maybe animals around. But it was just so quiet. It just seemed unnatural. It's a different to, kind to, of quiet, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And, I, and that struck me. And, and plus, it was such heavy smoke, too. And so you would look kind of tr and try to see things and see movement. So if you like, even if you didn't hear anything, you would see movement. There was nothing but this like very strange film, you know, across the, the entire landscape. And, you know, it's not like it's a film across your eyes. It's just across everything. Yeah. Uh, it de becomes devoid of color. Mm -hmm. Everything seems like it's black and white and shades of gray. Kind of yellowish. 
Yeah. Just sort of this yellowish tint to it. And yeah. it's and it does have sort of some cinematic qualities. I think you know, another thing that struck me was that you see the see people kind of wandering the streets of whether it's Reading or Chico or whatever wherever it is, and um you can't tell if they were homeless before the fire or since. Were they were they homeless to begin with? Or just the whole or have they been homeless for a couple of days or a couple of years? And just those sort of wandering and lost looking people in that yellow, filmy, smoky air um, sticks. It, like I said, it's sort of a cinematic kind of image that sticks in my head. Yeah. It, this was the case all over the place, but I remember going into a CVS because I had to buy like toothpaste or something. Right. right? So I'm in the CVS store. It, it's like the land of the living dead or something. That's a terrible thing to say, but people were just walking around like zombies. Yeah. You know, it, it was the most incredible thing. Yeah. And of course, everybody had a story. If you went up to somebody, they immediately would tell you their story. You and know. Pe- people walking through the Chico Walmart, you know, right. all the socks sold out, all the pillows sold out, all the blankets gone. Uh, everything else was fully stocked, but, you know, you, it really gave you a sense of people wandering through looking for all they want is just a clean pair of socks and a pillow, a place to put their head. Um, well, now they're scattered all over the place. Mm-hmm. You know, 15, 16,000 people. Mm-hmm. That's the real story here. Mm-hmm. Is that you know this giant migration of people, including a lot of senior citizens? You mm-hmm. know, as you probably recall, Keith, Paradise had a lot of senior citizens and you know senior care facilities, and these people are all over the place, and there's tremendous angst and and stress on their family members trying to make sure that you know these people are going to be okay. And if we have more communities like this that you know go up in flames, it's just tremendous, tremendous challenges. How do we accommodate these people, you know? And once again, that was KCBS reporters Jenna Lane, Holly Kwan, and Jeffrey Schaub. You're listening to In Depth. This week, we're taking a look at some of the major news stories we've covered on our airwaves this last year. Putting together the show, I also asked some of my other colleagues to talk about what stories stuck out the most to them from 2018. And I got a whole bunch of responses... Among them, KCBS anchor John Bristow says that out of all the stories we've covered, he's going to remember the opening of the Salesforce Transit Center in downtown San Francisco. It's something the city and really the whole Bay Area had been waiting for for years. In fact, I remember being at the groundbreaking just over 10 years ago, at which time Congress member Nancy Pelosi and local transit officials were proudly announcing the center would be opening in 2017 in time for the arrival of the first trains on the state's high-speed rail system. Well, of course, neither of those things happened. The transit center opened a year late, and we'll be waiting another decade or so for those high-speed trains to arrive, if they ever do. But the icing on the cake came just six weeks after the center's grand opening last August with the discovery of cracked steel beams prompting a shutdown of what some were already calling the Grand Central Station of the West. And that area has seen its share of construction goofs. The transit center is right next door to the sinking residential skyscraper, the Millennium Tower. And the transit center, yep, still closed while the fix goes on. Stay tuned. One of the big stories of 2018 might just be one of the big stories of this year. All right, well, that was a big story out of San Francisco. Let's go down south now to one of the big stories out of San Jose in 2018. 
KCBS reporter Matt Bigler is now going to tell us about Google's ongoing effort to open up a new mega campus in the city. It is an ambitious plan to add both office space and housing to the city, but Matt says it's one that has also run into intense pushback. Labor groups and homeless advocates are opposed because they're afraid if you get 20,000 tech workers in downtown San Jose, it's going to do crazy things to already crazy rent prices and people aren't going to be afford to live there. And as a result, they've been doing lots of activism around this issue. And the most prominent, I think, was the uh, the stopping of a Google bus in San Jose. Now, this has happened in San Francisco off and on. This is the first time that they surrounded a Google bus near San Jose State, stopped it from moving, and they were wearing hazmat suits because they were claiming that Google is toxic to San Jose. Google is not going to solve the housing crisis, um, and Google is not going to create homes for residents like me who have uh, grown up in San Jose and, and live in San Jose and love San Jose. It certainly put the issue on the minds of a lot of people who may not have been aware of the issue. And the other thing is they did a hunger strike. Uh, Labor groups conducted a hunger strike in the lead up to the vote to sell a lot of city owned land to Google so they can build their property. So both of those both of those activisms uh, highlighted this very controversial topic that we haven't heard the last of. And so for the rest of 2019, we're going to hear a lot more about that uh, as Google gets closer to making an official uh, plan for their campus. The highly anticipated environmental project, Ocean Cleanup, finally launched its first boat this September out of Alameda. It was really exciting. You know, we covered uh, the progress of the boat from Alameda out through the Bay Area. The nonprofit said it was going to tow this huge net out to the Great Garbage Patch, which is out floating in the Pacific Ocean, and that it would basically scoop up all the mess. It's attracted a lot of attention, and it's that kind of idea that you hear about and you just wonder, you know, why hasn't anyone tried this before? It seems so simple. Um, but the environmentalist that I spoke to said that it has actually been hugely expensive to build. It's going to be just as costly to maintain, especially if it breaks, which we found out just a couple days before the new year that it actually already has. They also say that the trash is just going to end up in the landfill because the plastic is so degraded that you won't be able to recycle it. It also doesn't really solve the bulk of the issue, which is uh, microplastic pollution. Uh, those, these are pieces of plastic that are too small, basically, to be caught in a net. The good news, though, is that experts say we can clean up the trash eventually through a series of volunteer-driven beach cleanups, but that's probably not going to gather as many headlines because, let's be honest, it's not nearly as glamorous. And that last voice we just heard there was Jessica Yee, who works behind the KCBS editor's desk. We are going to spend just a little bit more time on this next one, It's a huge story that exploded in the Bay Area and really across the country in 2018, that being the epidemic of vaping among teenagers. It's a story that has been covered quite closely by KCBS anchor Stan Bunger. This thing first hit my consciousness probably a year and a half ago when one of my bike riding buddies said, do you know anything about juuling? And I'm thinking, okay, here's some thing I should know about. I assumed he meant like something with jewels involved. Stan referring there to the San Francisco-based company Jewel, behind the now famous brand of vaping devices that have come to dominate the e-cigarette market. Stan points out that while the story wasn't getting much coverage at the beginning of the year, 
It really began to break out into the public consciousness in the spring and summer. As the school year ended in the spring and summer break came around, I began to have conversations personally with a number of school administrators and teachers and teenagers. And I realized that this thing had absolutely exploded. It had gone from zero to 60 so fast. And in fact, that most of the adult generation was fighting a fire that was already out. And that fire was smoking. That in fact, teenagers aren't smoking anymore. They stopped smoking a long time ago. We scared them out of smoking. It's not cool to smoke anymore. What is cool is to go to the jewel room, which is what the in crowd calls the bathroom at any public high school. It's a periodic thing. So, Is it uncool to smoke? Yeah, it's definitely looked down upon by like everyone at high school, basically. Like most yeah. people think like, oh, look at those kids smoking those cigarettes. Like what's wrong with them? So, yeah. Do you feel that same approbation about Juul or, or vaping? Uh, no, because it is m- much bigger and a lot more people do it, and it's much more widely accepted. Now, Juul was hit in September with a 60-day notice from the Food and Drug Administration, which told the company that it had to discontinue sales to retail establishments that have been nailed for selling to minors. They had to come up with a better set of internal programs, eliminate online sales. In other words, take a bunch of steps to make sure these Juul devices weren't getting in the hands of teenagers. And in the middle of that 60-day period, Juul decided to respond with a massive advertising campaign, including radio commercials like this one. I was trying to find an alternative to smoking. I think one of the tech magazines wrote an article on it. I ordered one up, and that was the first time I got the Jewel. I must say, this advertising campaign ran briefly on KCBS. It ran on a lot of other stations nationwide. And managers at the station say they never have had a public response to an ad that's aired on KCBS, a negative public response, like what they received to this commercial. Eventually, the station chose to stop airing the ads. And so as we get to the end of the year, Juul, in the last few weeks of 2018, took a massive investment from Altria, part of Big Tobacco, a $12.8 billion investment. And that raises the company's valuation from the $15 billion we talked about earlier as a potential valuation to $38 billion. So even after a rocky year and all that negative publicity... As from a business perspective, companies doing fine after 2018. It would seem that way. And of course, there is this open question. Is this just a bumpy patch for Juul? Can they really deliver on the original mission, their stated mission, of helping smokers get off tobacco? If they could do that. You know, this is a Nobel Prize kind of a thing, mm-hmm. right? If you can get people away from cigarettes and end the kind of health crisis that cigarettes have created, you've done some good for society. If you can keep teenagers from using your device and potentially leading themselves into lives of addiction, that would be a good thing, too. As we end 2018 and enter 2019, those are the open questions for Juul. KCBS anchor Stan Bunger. Well, KCBS News wouldn't be complete without a business report. And that sound means, of course, it's time for KCBS business reporter Jason Brooks, who says if you've got to pick one story that had the biggest impact on investors and people's 401k accounts in 2018, it's got to be the trade war. Uh, The trade war sparked all kinds of uncertainty for the markets. And if there's one thing that the markets don't like, it's uncertainty. And we've seen this 
with the stock market falling into its first correction in some time. It was expected after a nine-and-a-half-year bull run. Uh, the trade war having an even bigger impact on China. The Shanghai has fallen 25% this year. We keep getting bad economic news out of China, which would seem to help the U.S. in negotiations. But that's also impacting the U.S. stock market. As China's economy slows, it raises all sorts of concerns about global economic growth. And that impacts a lot of big companies, Apple in particular. Uh, We've seen Apple stock plunge 30% in the fourth quarter of 2018 And as Apple goes, the stock market goes. These things feed into each other. And as a result, that uncertainty has carried over into 2019. And we have no idea where it's going until that trade war is settled. And then we'll get a better understanding of where we do at least stand with our finances and the global economy. That was KCBS business reporter Jason Brooks. Well, 2018 was also the year that the Republican Party slipped into third place in California, meaning that in first place, you've got Democrats, in third place, you've got Republicans, and in second place, you've got no party preference. Well, that was way back in May. And if anything, things have just gotten more bleak for the California GOP since then. So this incredible decline in fortunes where the party is KCBS political reporter Doug Sovereign's pick for top political story in California for 2018. 2018, I think, was a watershed and will be looked back on one for the California GOP and its future, which is extremely bleak. Um, Yes, California elected a new governor, re-elected a veteran senator. A lot of big things happened in the state, but the the whitewash of the the GOP really, uh, I mean, coming into this year, The Democrats hoped they could take back the House of Representatives. And to do so, they knew they had to win some seats in California. As it turned out, they didn't have to win any in California because they needed to flip, what was it, 24 seats, and they won 40. So even if they hadn't won in California, they would have done it. But they had targeted seven seats and in a broader sense, maybe 10, but really seven that they were targeting to go uh, red to blue, as they called it. And they won all seven. And in their wildest dreams, they didn't think that would happen. They thought they could get three or four, maybe five, but... They got seven. And and that, to me, was the biggest development. It now means that, you know, Democrats, not only are are they going to outnumber Republicans in the new Congress from California, uh, let's see, it'll be uh, 46 to seven, which is astounding. Mm. Um, And but they have a three quarters majority in the state Senate, better than two thirds in the state assembly. They hold every statewide office. There is little hope for Republicans. You even saw Republicans run as independents, and that didn't do the trick. So uh, to me, that was the really big thing that happened in California politics in 2018. And it's only going to get worse, I think, for Republicans as they try to find their way ahead. And what is their message? Who are they as a party? Donald Trump is their national leader. Where does that go a year or two from now? It looks good for Democrats and bad for Republicans in California. So we all knew that California was going to be getting bluer and bluer and bluer. But I think this year... It went a little bit more quickly than folks expected it to. What do you see behind the suddenness of this shift? I mean, is it mostly a Donald Trump story? I think Trump was a huge part of it uh, in California because, you know, California, everything, it's like a perfect storm for the Democrats and against the Republicans. You've got demographic changes. You've got a a younger uh, electorate. You have a lack of statewide leaders who are Republicans. And then you throw in Donald Trump, where you have districts where Hillary Clinton won anyway, and there's a Republican in the House. And maybe there was a Republican in, in the state legislature, too. And people don't like Trump in those districts and didn't vote for him, even though they've always voted for their local Republican congressman. They were ripe for the plucking for the Democrats. 
Trump did not come to California. He said he would. He said he'd come campaign for John Cox for governor. He never did. He said he'd come back to Orange County and help out those House candidates. He never did. He knew it was a no-win situation for him. He doesn't want to go anywhere where he's not going to be able to say, I made the difference and I won. Yeah, the anti-Trump factor was huge in California, and it's going to continue to be. And in 2020, if he is the nominee, which we assume he will be if he's not out of office, assuming he's still the president, he would be the nominee. Uh, California is just going to be a bloodbath for the GOP in, in 2020, and you're going to see this massive turnout. He's driving voters to the polls. You're going to see it in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, the states that he he won that made him the president. You're going to see this huge anti-Trump turnout that's going to make a big difference, a bigger difference in 20, I think, than we even just saw in California in 18. All right. So some of the other top political stories that we had this year, Gavin Newsom won. Democrat won California. Not a huge surprise this there. This just in. This just in. Were there any lesser-known political stories that maybe missed some of our major headlines but kind of caught your attention that you think we should keep in mind going into 2019? Well, there were down-ballot races that didn't get much attention, but again, the Democrats won them all. That was not a surprise. <laughs> they have such an advantage in, in every way. There were some local legislative races that were really interesting. Buffy Wicks in the East Bay, which we covered a lot in the um, 15th, is it the 15th Assembly District, um, where it was Democrat on Democrat, um, something you get mostly only in California. She could be a force to be reckoned with. I mean, she she hasn't gotten a whole lot of attention because it's an assembly race, but she's you know a veteran of the Hillary Clinton campaign. She was a veteran of the Obama administration. She's a rising star, and and she's somebody to watch. Uh, beyond that, you know, we're gonna have to see down the road what impact some of the ballot measures have. Um, but we're just seeing sort of a solidifying of the Democratic control at every level: assembly, Senate, House, statewide office holders. It's all Democrats, and most of them are not surprising. So, no, there weren't any things that jumped out where I said, I didn't think that was going to happen, <laughs> except for, again, the taking all those House seats away from the GOP, particularly in Orange County, which was the reddest place mm-hmm. in California. It is yeah. solidly blue now in terms of, you know, it's, it's, not, it's close. It's 50-50, but it's all represented by Democrats. What I remember most out of everything that we've covered in 2018 would be the North Beach fire. It happened on St. Patrick's Day. A giant building under construction in the North Beach went up in flames. Pixie Clay, another one of the hardworking editors in the KCBS newsroom, talking about a five-alarm fire that produced so much smoke it could be seen from across the bay. But the fire stood out to her for another reason. Aaron Peskin was out in North Beach and he made some comments about how the fire department took too long to get there. I can tell you with my own eyes, they completely, totally failed to address this working fire. And in something that I've never seen before, uh, the San Francisco fire chief, Joanne Hayes-White, also came out to the scene and addressed the media and basically told Aaron Peskin to stay in his own lane. And I remember this uh, news story the most because I've never seen or witnessed before infighting through news media outlets between a San Francisco supervisor and uh, a chief of a fire department or a police department. So it was bizarre in a way when there's this giant fire going on that they took the time to take jabs at each other. That was Pixie Clay. And we also heard there from Aaron Peskin speaking to KPIX 5. 
You're listening to In-Depth, and our KCBS 2018 Newswatch recap continues. Up next, we've got KCBS reporter Kerry Hudasek, who covered the Bay Area's boisterous reaction to the Brett Kavanaugh Supreme Court nomination hearings that took place in the fall. The first time you've talked about this to this o- is the first other time people? I've talked about this. I've never spoken publicly about this. I haven't spoken publicly about this before. There were a lot of protests here in the Bay Area during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, but one I'll never forget was more of a silent demonstration to support Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. Victims of sexual assault they came together to paint a large 50-foot banner in the middle of Oakland that read "We Believe Survivors." And they each shared their stories of rape or sexual abuse. And for some, they spoke about it for the very first time in public. People all have different ways of wanting to share their experiences and their stories. And for some people, speaking in front of a microphone um, is also cathartic. And for some people, it's writing and drawing together. A very chilling moment, yet extremely powerful. This past year, a very specific pattern of discrimination began making news as well. I hear you have a problem with these gentlemen having a barbecue here at the lake. What's going on? It has nothing to do with their race. It seems like a new Jim Crow going on because for some reason, every time I see it, black people are the ones targeted. We heard again and again of individuals calling 911 to report people of color for doing nothing more than having a barbecue or selling bottled water. It's a trend that clearly struck a nerve. In fact, the most listened to story this year on KCBSRadio.com was of one such incident involving a black entrepreneur. KCBS editor Brian Kranz contributed to our coverage of this pattern, and he offered this reflection. I don't think it was anything new of people calling police for code infractions or things that could easily be ignored, but it's just people's reaction to it and how quickly they went viral and people looked into who these people were, where they worked, that type of thing. And it was kind of the, this online, a continuation of the online social justice, looking at the disparities between how being a white person and being a person of color in the in, in America can vastly differ. KCBS editor, Brian Kranz. All right, well, we already had your business news for you. Now for some sports news and the top Bay Area sports story of the year. And to bring us that, here's KCBS Afternoon Sports anchor Kevin the Rat to talk about what else? The Warriors. Well, the Warriors were by far the number one story once again in 2018. They were coming off a great playoff run the year before. The 2017 finals featured the dominant play of Kevin Durant and winning the series MVP in that five-game victory over the Cavs and LeBron. Then last year, going for back-to-back titles in three and four years, the Dubs had that late lull in the season with uh, Steph Curry's knee injury. But once he got healthy and once the playoffs began, it was all but certain they would face Houston in the conference finals. But they were down 3-2 in that series. Uh, Chris Paul goes out with a hamstring. The Dubs win game six and seven and set up another showdown with the Cavs, the fourth in four years with LeBron's Cavaliers. And we knew that Cleveland had no shot at beating the Warriors after game one, despite the fact that LeBron had 52. J.R. Smith, thank you very much. Durant, once again, the MVP. The offseason comes along, and what do they do but sign DeMarcus Cousins? 
that story is yet to be written. You know, we used to say the Giants or the NFL would dominate the headlines in Bay Area sports, but for the past five years, it has definitely been Golden State Warrior basketball. All right, well, last up on In-Depth, it just wouldn't be KCBS without a little traffic news, and we had a lot of traffic to report on this year. KCBS midday traffic reporter George Rask has been watching the roads for quite some time for us. And over the years, he's seen the situation out there just go from bad to worse to worse to worse. But he says this year has been a tipping point. Because the uh, length of time that the metering lights are on at the Bay Bridge, they're coming on now almost consistently at 528, between 525 and 530 every day. When I first started covering traffic at KCBS, we didn't even start drive time traffic until six o'clock, mm-hmm. six to nine and three to six. That's yeah. when we did traffic. Well, of course, the commute starts now in the four o'clock hour and for a number of outliers, even earlier than that, because we have people who drive in from Tracy, Manteca yeah. Yeah. to the Bay Area. So the length of the commutes, the amount of volume that and the number of incidents that traffic reporters have to track has uh, gone up exponentially. Yeah. And there, it, it's to the point now where, and this is somewhat anecdotal, I don't go anywhere anymore, Keith, without hearing a conversation about traffic. Mm-hmm. Either how bad it was getting to that event mm. or how someone had to take into consideration what route they were going to use to get to the event, or they'll be talking about traffic somewhere else or to and from work. It's funny. I worked the holidays this year, Christmas, New Year's. And what I noticed on Christmas morning and New Year's morning was the freedom that people had to go anywhere in the Bay Area. The roads were completely open. And, and this was great because it's a morning when a lot of people are traveling, visiting, brunch, relatives, friends. But it was one of two or three days mm-hmm. when one could just get up, decide they wanted to go somewhere, and pick up and go without having to take regard for what's the traffic going to be like. And it's one of those weird experiences where you don't realize how bad it was until you have it good for one day. It's like you've been sucking in your gut all year. You let it out for five seconds and, oh, my God, I can finally breathe. That's absolutely right. It was an astonishing moment for me because I realized, oh, my God, there's no red on the traffic. <laughs> I'm looking at the sensors. But um, over the last year, I would say the the length of the commute, the sheer density of traffic. And because we are at such capacity now, Keith, it takes so little to upset the balance. Mm. We are always slightly over capacity such that a single stall yeah. can back up an accident really bad, back up a commute really badly. Two worst corridors, the most recent data suggests that the northbound afternoon commute through San Francisco to the Bay Bridge is the worst. Mm. The second worst is the reverse of that, which is the morning commute across the Bay Bridge and into the city. Mm. And again, because we are at at capacity and above capacity on our roadways, a simple stall can change what engineers like to refer to as throughput. 
Mm-hmm. That's uh, traffic engineers talk in those terms. So if you have five lanes and you block one, mm-hmm. that's not a 20% reduction, one of five. It's It amounts to somewhere between a 40 and 60% reduction in throughput if you take just one lane away out of five. Because we're just riding on that edge Always all the time. on the edge. Yeah. Always. And so you've been watching this incremental uptick. It's just been, you know, we've had that frog in the pot and it's been getting hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. And you're saying 2018, is that the year when it really started to boil? I mean, what was new in 2018? Well, the temperature's definitely gone up, and I am seeing bubbles in the water. And if I were a frog, I'd want to hop out. Yeah. And, you know, again, anecdotally, that's another thing I hear. A lot of people are hopping out. Yeah. Uh, what I hear People are leaving lot, the Bay Area over yes, this. I can't take this anymore. Yeah. I can't take the traffic. A lot of expats are moving up to Reno. Mm-hmm. There's a big tech boom going on there. Battery factories and mm-hmm. all shipping centers, fulfillment centers. And I have friends who are moving there um, for the very reasons that we're describing. They just can't take the density, the pressure. And again, I'm a San Francisco resident. Mm -hmm. So even getting across town is a nightmare anymore. There's just no, there's no easy way. Well, we've certainly covered a lot of ground here today, but believe it or not, we've barely scratched the surface for 2018 news. So much else happened. You know, news involving homeless encampments, uh, the showdown between Oakland Mayor Libby Schaaf and President Trump, uh, so many new laws, so many new policies, couldn't get to hardly any of them. Maybe that's why when I asked Patty Rising, our evening drive time anchor, what her top story for 2018 would be, I got this answer. I would say that I cannot pick a story of the year, that this year has been so crazy, the news cycle has been so constant, that it is impossible for me to go back and pick out one important story. I think it's been a super challenging year for journalists because there's so much to choose from. What do you cover? How do you cover it? So it's been exhausting and exhilarating, but I can't pick one thing. I think it means that we need to be more focused on what is real news and what deserves our attention. It makes our job harder, but our job has never been more important. You've been listening to In-Depth on KCBS. Tune in again next time as we get started on our 2019 News Watch. I'm Keith Menconi, and I'll see you then. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program for All News 740 and FM 106.9 KCBS. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t